and welcome to the second season of the Yamcast, where we help young adults navigate this world and assist anyone in starting a young adult ministry. We do this by going through some books of the Bible that we are currently going through with our own young adult group. I am one of your hosts, Erica Haas. And I'm the other host, Chris Stukenberg. We love to guide this age group through life and their faith. And this season, we're actually going to cover the book of Ruth. Uh-huh. And we're super excited about it. So if you'd like to know more, check us out at Instagram at the EMCast or Facebook at EMCastPod. Or you can email us at EMCastPod at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please share with your friends because we all know that sharing is caring. Subscribe, rate, and review on any of the podcast platforms. So on our last episode... We kind of talked about basically, I would say Ruth and Boaz are like almost engaged. I would say quite engaged. Maybe they are engaged. He just has to like figure out a few things before they really know. And you might be thinking they kind of skipped over the dating phase of their relationship. Hmm. And I'm thinking, no, I don't think they did. They just did things a little bit differently than we do today. Would you agree? A lot differently. A lot differently. Than we do them today. Yeah. So when I was growing up, dating was, um, I feel like actually I was told not to by Joshua Harris. If you don't know who Joshua Harris is, he kissed dating goodbye. And he has also kissed the church bye. <laughs> yeah. He kissed Christianity goodbye. That's, but, um, okay. We laughed. We don't mean no, that. That's not, that's not. It, it was funny. just more of a funny joke to us, but we, that's really sad. It is very he, sad. He walked away from the faith a few I months mean, ago. Yes, that is actually very sad. So we're sad. praying for that's him to come funny. back to the faith. However, he did kiss dating and Christianity goodbye. So there's a pattern. Yeah, there's that we're a pattern. In his life. And in that book, they kind of said, you should just date in groups and mm-hmm. whatnot. And there's some things in there that are, are, are good, but some things that maybe are not as good either. So who knows? But I felt like all we did in youth group was basically say, you don't have sex before you get married. And that's kind of it that we talked about with dating, I feel like. <laughs> I don't think that's all that we talked about. That's all I feel like I hear, heard, Correct. heard. I think sometimes <laughs> that's... with children too and much. I, and I would love to lean into that a little bit yeah. later at the end of the podcast. Yeah. Keep going. But so I even growing up just had this not very good relationship with with dating and with with boys because I used them to kind of fill things in my life that they weren't meant to do that weren't meant to fill that. And so I didn't really understand what it meant to actually date in a godly manner before, um, middle of high school. Like I did the quote unquote dating, you know, as you are as a child. And that was definitely not probably in a godly manner. But then when I did decide to kind of kiss dating goodbye, I then after that didn't really know, like, how do you actually do this well? And so I was, yeah, I kind of felt like I was left wanting to know more about dating. And so then over the last chunk of years, I've just kind of gotten to know myself better and watched people date and kind of looked in it that way. And uh, that's kind of how I has helped me in my dating life. Like I've been dating for two years now, a man. Um, That sounds really weird, but. And even then, I felt like I was still just like treading water trying to figure it out. Like, I don't know, 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 I don't know. So, what was your experience with dating? Well, and first of all, congratulations. There is a ring on my finger. You guys aren't just dating anymore. <laughs> uh, he went full Beyonce. He put a ring on it. He did. Good for him. He listened to Beyonce. Good job, Aaron. Well done. So, what's my experience? Yeah, what was your experience with, with dating? dating? Yeah. 
I did a lot of it. <laughs> I should have done a lot less of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in the same youth group, although a couple of years before you, because I was an intern when you were in what grade? 10th, maybe? Yeah, probably. Yeah. 10th or 11th. So I was, so I interned for almost two whole years. So it would have been 10th and 11th grade probably. So my dating experience was, I went on a lot of dates. I went to a lot of dances. I spent a lot of money on things that have no actual value to my life. Oh, the dances. <laughs> They're expensive. Yeah. I wore lots of tuxes and suits and uh, I think I went to three proms one year. Oh my. It was, it was awesome. Where are you getting all this money? And when I say awesome, I say awful now. I worked. I had a job. Well done. And I paid for stuff. That's number one. That's get, w- number one. Yeah. First thing of dating, get a job. <laughs> Have a job and be able to pay for stuff. If you don't get a job means you don't go on dates. You might actually just not want to get a job. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I dated a fair amount. I had a, a few different fairly steady girlfriends. Uh, but it, but I will say my biggest experience is I would go back and do it all over again differently mm. if I could. Mm-hmm. So. I think the biggest takeaway for me in my life is I, I look back, not with regret, because I believe God used all of those terrible things in my life, whether it's bad relationships or whatever, to tool me and create me to be the person he wanted me to be. So I believe God used it, uh, but I don't know that I was always thinking about God when I jumped into another thing. Mm. In fact, I can guarantee you, I was not always thinking about God <laughs> when I jumped into things. And and actually, ironically, uh, because of some of those circumstances, I had given up on dating altogether. And I had not quite admitted that I was just going to be single my whole life, but I, I was open to that possibility because mm-hmm. I felt like I had ruined that area of my life so badly that there was no purpose for me to keep entertaining the idea. And then along came this wonderful woman who Polly. Oh no, no, not, no, Polly. not, not Polly, but Heidi, <laughs> I'm just kidding. but Heidi was the, the healthiest dating relationship I ever had. And then it's been the healthiest marriage I've ever had. Hopefully it stays that way. Can't wait, can't wait for her to listen to this and roll her eyes when she hears uh-huh. that it's the healthiest marriage. It's also the healthiest marriage she's ever had. So I'd say we're both in the healthiest marriage we've ever been in, in our whole life. Well done. Yeah. Good job. It's also the only marriage yeah. we've ever been in, in our whole life. So, Which and will it, be that way. It so. will stay that way. It will. Until we either die or Christ returns. There's no stipulation for anything else in mm-hmm. our marriage. So. Yes, I would agree. So, um, so yeah, you kind of hear a little bit of where we came from on dating and our history-ish of it. And I mean, we all want to do it well. We don't actually, like even you, you you wouldn't have gone into those relationships thinking, how can I do this poorly? How can I really screw this up? Like you don't, you don't go into it wanting to do that. And especially if you're a follower of Christ, you're kind of like, okay, how do I do this biblically? Like, how do I actually do this? Honoring that person, putting that person first, respecting that person above my own needs and wants and all of that. And so I guess first I would like just to kind of talk about biblically, like what does it actually say regarding, regarding dating or uh, what can we glean from the scriptures in, re- in relationship to, to dating? So if you're asking how, what can we glean from the scriptures? Yes. A treasure trove. Yes. If you're asking what does it say about dating, uh, it says nothing about dating. Mm-hmm. At all. That's why I kind of was like, what can we get from it? Because yes, there isn't 
There isn't like a Ten Commandments to dating. I mean, you could probably find that if you Googled it. But, but there's there's no such thing as yes, dating. Yes, there was not. I mean, yeah. in the in the ancient world, so this isn't even just a biblical thing. This is the ancient world across the board. You didn't date. You might have had a contest to find out which one was the most beautiful or who was the most capable of doing certain things for you. That That's what Xerxes is doing in the book okay. of Esther. Okay, okay. Uh, but that that's how you that was it. I mean there was no there was no courtship. There was no and the way that the biblical world typically worked, and so when I say biblical world, I just mean the ancient Near East. So that's that that's, time in, period, that's including Babylon, that's including, you know, Syria, Egypt, all these things. And what you did is you and your family lived together in a house, extended family. So it'd be you living with all your siblings, your parents would live there, possibly an aunt or uncle or two. Uh, and then for sure, your grandparents lived in the house as well, possibly great grandparents, depending on how long they had lived. So you have an entire family and they would watch you grow up and develop and think and, and be who you become. And while they're watching you, they're watching everyone else in either the village or the village nearby. And they are thinking who would be a great match for this person. So we typically see like in the movies, arranged marriage Mm -hmm. being like a random orphan boy who turned into a prince and rode on an elephant into town to convince a princess that he's a good prince. Are you talking about Aladdin? I am talking about Aladdin. (laughs) Let's do more, please. But the fact is, yeah. (laughs) Arranged marriages for 500, Alex. Uh, What's really happening in, in the ancient world isn't what we see in the movies. What's happening is you have families looking at other families going, they, they would be a good match as opposed to two random strangers that have never yeah. met each other being forced to get together. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of, of watching Jane Austen things. And, right. and I mean, some of those are financial matchings, right? Or um, status type of things that I see in those movies, like picking somebody that will actually be your equal right. in, in either status or raise your status. Right. Um, and I think what they push back on with Jane Austen and some of those writers is like actually wanting it to be for love right. rather than being arranged. But yeah, I think we see a lot of the arranged and I mean, I would say that I, I, I wouldn't have thought of it being random, but being, yeah, where your parents are like right. this person, this person, but almost I would see it as like they, how it benefits them also, not just, but I, I mean, that's what I've just picked up on. Well, and you got to think Jane Austen and other authors are oversimplifying a much more complicated matter. If you're a, so we'll move into biblical for a second here. Biblically speaking, they were pairing people, not necessarily based on wealth or status. They were pairing people based on, we believe it is God's will that you two will be a good match and that you'll create a family that will last for a long, long time. So is everyone doing that? No, obviously not. Yeah. But the vast majority of, of the relationships that we see in the Bible, like they, like I said, that's all we can really go with is they might be some political, like some of Samson's or sorry, Solomon's situation, some of Samson's situation that's clearly political or some other issue going on. But that wasn't the, the way it went for like a normal person, you know? So you grew up in Bethlehem and there's maybe 300 people in the whole village. You, you'd look nearby and go, oh, okay. Uh, this village over here has this individual, this daughter, she's a farm family, we're a farm family, that might be a good match. And they would actually spend time 
learning from each other and realizing, oh yeah, this is a good match. And then your your parents and your grandparents and possibly great grandparents would give the approval of the whole thing. And then what would happen is if you were the dad of a daughter, like I'm a dad of two daughters, the the other family member, the other the other family that we're talking about with their son, they would agree to a price to buy your daughter from your family. And you're like, that sounds wrong. This is ridiculous. No, because what happened is since you lived in a family with a whole or in the house with a whole bunch of family members, you were a valuable member of the family who had, you actually worked, you brought value to the family. You actually brought income. So even back to what you were saying a second ago, we see the the English version in Jane Austen. Yes. Of, like let's, let's game for status or, or whatever. In the ancient world, it was more of a, you're a really hard worker. I'm going to lose you. We should get some of that value back. And so they might say it's two camels or it's, it's six donkeys or whatever. And the other family wasn't necessarily buying. It was a, this is to offset the lack of, of value that this family member is going to bring. The me. loss that yes. they are. Yeah. So if, you know, if Peter, if when Peter got married, there's a good chance that his wife, and this is from the New Testament, it's a good chance that his wife was also a fisherman's daughter or in the family some way. So Peter probably paid a dowry in fish to make up for the loss that she would have had. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that's more the idea. And I think sometimes we, we, we really denigrate the whole old system. But, but if you think about it, what it's, what's really beautiful is it's two families getting together saying, I think this is a beautiful way to do things, which isn't crazy even today no. for, for two families to actually get along with one another and say, hey, these two like each other. We should consider this as a possibility. I mean, one of the beauty, beautiful things in, in my marriage is that I love my in-laws and Heidi loves her in-laws. And that's a beautiful thing to have two families that actually can get together for a party and not stare at each other across the room like scowling, mm-hmm. uh, which is what a lot of us deal with, you know, in real life. I mean, cue the in-law jokes. Yeah, totally. But I, but in our situation, we have we've actually actively worked against that, which might be closer to what's actually happening biblically Two individuals who, you know, Naomi's going to be an in-law to, yeah. to Boaz. And there's a beauty in this this situation. Right. There's something awesome happening. So I think that's closer to the way things are supposed to be rather than the way things are today. So, so that's the biblical setup. But as far as dating goes, yeah, there's tons of scriptures we can talk about. Well, and I was just going to like add on to that. I think having the parents in on it too. I mean, the majority of these marriages are happening when they're rather young. Um, not necessarily because they're, I don't know, we, we see it. We're like, oh my word, a 12 year old, but a 12 year old then and a 12 year old now Granted, they're still 12, but like very different responsibilities, very different life. Like even, I mean, you're basically an adult at, yeah. So it's just very different. Still, still very much a child, but having the parents in on it kind of helps with that youthfulness and that juvenileness too of, because we, as when we're young are just very, we're not focused. We're kind of all over the place and our feelings kind of direct our lives. And so them being able to say, this is actually good for you. And now, now obviously we're not saying every single one of those things is right and just and perfect, but that is the biblical framework that we're working from. Well, and some of that's because of our society. I mean, we've built a school system that goes for 12 whole years. Yeah. And if you don't graduate high school, you're a loser is basically what we're told, you know, as we're growing up. And then sometimes even if you haven't graduated college, you're a loser. Mm-hmm. If you haven't gotten a master's degree, you're a loser. So there's this there's a sort of like pressure put on us to get all the way through it. Whereas in the ancient world, they would have gone to school for a couple of years. Most of them are illiterate. They don't they don't need to learn half the things we need to learn in our society. So as a 13 year old, when you have a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, you've moved into adulthood. 
So you're fishing at 12, 13. Picking up a trade. Which is why when Jesus says, come follow me, and some of the fishermen are with their dad, they're younger than 20. We yeah. know, we know mm. they are. Mm-hmm. We're positive that they're in their teens because they're, they haven't moved away from their dad to start their own practice. Where That usually happened age of 13 to 20, somewhere in there, 15 or so. So Peter owns his own boat. Peter's got his own fishing business going on. So we know Peter's older. older. He's mm-hmm. one of the older disciples. So if you start to lay that out, then you go, oh, wow, they're already adults at 13. So they should live like adults. And so the, the whole idea of how we perceive dating and everything else is completely different, which is ironic because some of the biggest struggles we have are how to handle dating in high school mm-hmm. when we already would have been married off if you go 2000 Isn't that years crazy? Ago. Yeah. Yeah. So as we kind of said, there are not really explicit, there are not explicit dating scriptures, but as we've also said, there's lots of things you can still get that will help you in a dating relationship. Lots of scriptures about being in bad company and how that's going to affect you negatively. There's tons of scripture about fleeing from youthful desires and pursuing righteousness. So these, so there are verses obviously that are actually geared exactly towards marriage, but the same sentiments can even be put toward dating, like respecting and loving. Mm-hmm. So treating um, treating them and giving them the benefit of the doubt, all of those sorts of things. So, yeah, do you have anything to add to the to that section? Yeah, I mean, I think all of those passages are great. The, the marriage ones, though, at least give us a bit of a framework for what we should not be doing in our dating relationships. So if there's certain things like I'm thinking of Hebrews 13 tells us keep, you know, honor the marriage bed and keep it pure. When I have young people coming to me saying, well, why can't I sleep with someone? We love each other. We're going to get married someday. Well, I don't think the biblical author would have said marriage bed if they were talking about. Anytime bed. Yeah. Prepubescent dating bed. And so there's, there's even the marriage passages, we should read those and think, Am I honoring this dating relationship mm. in such a way that my spouse later would be honored by that? Like, am I doing it now? Yes. Yeah. So, so I would say whatever you could read on marriage or the verses that you just mentioned, any of those things, pursuing righteousness, uh, all of that stuff is all built into this idea of, man, if marriage is supposed to be this, then my dating relationships should at least be aiming me toward that, which I think is what Joshua Harris was trying to aim for. And yes. I just dating goodbye. Uh, but you know, in my alma mater, Moody, there was a book burning of his book <laughs> <laughs> shortly before I got there. And I don't disagree with that either. I, I think he was kind of missing the point of what our society is doing. He was trying to speak into it. Unfortunately, you know, maybe yeah. instead of tearing, maybe instead of trying to tear down all of dating, just say, okay, here's some proper ways to date if we're going to date. Yeah, I think. I think if you're aiming for something in the future and you're not doing it now, there's no way you're going to get there. Yes. And so if you are thinking, and I think, I don't think anybody is going into marriage thinking I want it to be, as we talked about with dating, a wreck where I end up getting married five times or whatever it is. But if you're not doing that stuff now, there's no way your marriage is going to be like that. Right. Right. Like there's no way that your marriage is going to be full of respect and love if you are not able to respect and love people. Like this just won't happen. You can't be aiming for something and be looking the other way and hope that somehow it's going to curve and end up there, you know? Right. Which is the whole point of the law. I mean, what, what God is giving us in the law, you know, Jesus says, you've heard it said, 
don't commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even look lustfully upon a woman or you've committed adultery in her heart. And everyone's like, well, that's just Jesus making it so much harder for us to, to do it, what God asks us. No, that was always the point of the law. Like God said, don't commit adultery, meaning you should not be lusting after other people besides your wife, like focus on her. But everyone's like, well, that says I can't, but I could do everything other than that. You know, like we, we, we kind of treat it as like, how, how far is the line? Mm-hmm. How far can I go? And then all of a sudden we're like, why am I in, a, in, a, in an affair? This is ridiculous. How did this happen? This is crazy. And it's like, no, you didn't listen to the spirit of the law in the first place. And all Jesus is doing is like, guys, you heard this. What we were, what we were saying was this, but you chose to just take it your way and do it your way. He doesn't say we're dumb, but he should. Like, I, I think Jesus should be harsher with us. But Well, because, yeah, it's like it's them doing the same thing. Yes. Well, I didn't commit adultery. It's like, but you did this, 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 and this, and you basically already yep. did, you know? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So what is dating? So I, I looked up the definition. <gasps> and it it's, says. It's a good place to start. To go out with. And then it says someone in whom. One is romantically or sexually interested. That's it. So we can cross the uh, back part of that definition off, the sexually interested part, and just say someone you're romantically interested in. I mean, I would even say romantically means that you're attracted. Like, that's what I would say is that. I agree. Just because you might be sexually interested doesn't mean you're like, we're going to do it. Well, but I think in our culture, there's an assumption that a date means that. Oh, yeah, there very much is. And that's what I'm saying. So that definition is obviously based on our culture's understanding of the word. And now you're pulling from a dictionary. Oh, yeah. And I'm saying- Google, to be exact. (laughs) For starters, starters, (laughs) as a Christian in our culture, even if you are sexually interested, that is not your purpose for dating. No. Right off the bat, your purpose for dating is, I am romantically interested and I want to see if this can lead to marriage. Would you disagree? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think I would hope that you already know a good amount about them before you start dating. Agreed. So when we talked about last week, like getting out there and meeting people and whatnot, I would hope you would already have seen them in group interactions. And that's kind of one thing that they talked about with Ruth and Boaz is they've watched them interact in groups, which is probably the best way to really see who somebody is. Because when you go on a date with somebody, you have a mask up and you're just putting your best foot forward. You're really probably not being your true self. But if you're in a group and you're not actually thinking this is like anything, you're just hanging out with your friends, then you have a really good idea of what the person is like. Mm -hmm. So I actually think groups, I mean, obviously you're not going to date in groups the whole time, but I think that's a really valid thing to really see what the person's like. But, um, Because I think some people would say that, oh, yeah, you just need to get to know them. But I think you can do that without technically dating. But, yes, you should have the intent of this is for marriage. This is not just for fun. Right. Right? I agree. Yeah. Which is a way different way of looking at it than our culture does. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that you need to go on more than one date with an individual. No. I'm not. We're not saying that. However, you're definitely not giving them a chance to fully, you know, express themselves in this way. But I think it is safe if you start with groups uh, and then move from there. You know, for Heidi and I, for example, this was the first relationship that when I went on our first date, I had no mask. Mm. I felt like I couldn't even put one on. And it wasn't because of her per se. It was just I had so badly failed in the past that I was kind of just done pretending. 
And so our first date was uh, awkwardly just me being me. And mm-hmm. even now she's kind of just laughs like I should have just really th- like like, should have just really thought about that. And then she'll <laughs> laugh. But the truth is I was even so much myself that it was it was almost uncomfortable and I probably should have put on more of a face. But she got the real picture of this is who this guy is, uh, such as I didn't get up to get the door for her. I just she knocked on the door and I was like, Hey, come on in. She's like, Are you kidding me? Mm. Yep. Well, and I, I would agree with that. And I part of me thinks it's where I'm at in life as well, that I I basically was like, you're going to take me or you're going to leave me. And granted, this was not when I went on our first like to get to know Aaron. It wasn't even it wasn't even technically a date. It was just we're just grabbing coffee. And I think I probably had a little bit of a mask, but far less of one if I had gone on a date five years prior. Right. Maybe even a year prior, because I did have just the this is who I am. So if you're going to like it, you're going to like it. If not whatever, mm-hmm. like I, so I think that changes too when you think you have to win them over versus I am who I am. Not that you're going in it like whatever, but, but yeah, you just are kind of like, if this is going to be, then I'm just going to be who I am. And if it's meant to be, it's going to happen. If not, that's fine too. Yeah. But I think sometimes we go into it with so much pressure that we think this has to be it when it doesn't have to be. It. I think we put a lot of pressure on it that doesn't need to be there. And you actually let it collapse on itself before it even starts. Yeah, you basically ruin it. Yeah. And we've we've been, you know, molded by our culture to think certain things have to happen in order for the date to be perfect. You know, they gotta sweep me off my feet or we've gotta kiss under the the rain at the end of the date, or he we've gotta walk to the steps and he's gotta start to walk away and then I grab his hand and pull him back and go you know what? Don't go so far. You know, come on back. Oh my gosh. But I'm just saying, like, saying, we have have all these ridiculous ideas in our head. And as a Christian, what we're looking for is I want to know if this person loves Jesus as much as I love Jesus, because that alone is the most helpful tip we can possibly give you. Yes. I mean, if if you both love Jesus and you should have already discerned this by your group interactions or, you know, whatever, you should be able to know if this person's real or fake and you should be able to have like a really honest discussion, your first date, just about your, what you're reading, what you're seeing, what God's teaching you, how this is impacting your life. And if you're both jiving in that way, I guarantee you that carries you better through the dark times that dating is absolutely going to give you or mm-hmm. marriage is absolutely going to give you. Those moments are better for you to discern. Yeah, we can go through some cra- pretty crazy stuff together. Because one of the helpful tips I would give is you need to understand that marriage is war, not against each other. But our culture doesn't like happy couples. No. I mean, we our culture wants to make the man look like an idiot, wants to make the woman look like she's crazy. And so they you are constantly listening to voices from everywhere else. And for you to fight that battle together, the only way to do that is for you to both be on the same page. And I don't mean in every area. I mean, Jesus Christ is the only thing. Because when Heidi and I have a disagreement, the only thing that draws us back together is usually we've both thought it through for a while. And we talk it, we start to talk it out when we finally get to the point where we're ready to ch- chat about whatever this thing is. And then I usually am going, I'm a moron. I'm so sorry that this was taken this way. And she comes back with, I am so sorry that this came across this way. And it's mutual confession. It's mutual, uh, 
asking for one another to, to just love and walk through this together, understanding things are going to have to change for us not to do this again, but also understanding we're going to end up going through this again. It's going to be gonna for happen. something else at some point. And the only way we're going to fight that together is to understand we're at war with everything else. And if we have Christ at the center, we can walk through this together, no matter what it takes. And so the darkest days we've had in our marriage, whether it's from outside sources or whether it's from things that we did to one another accidentally or on, mm-hmm. or, or not so much on purpose, but, you know, um, I don't want to make it sound like we're like manipulative to one another. But there are moments where I think if I really thought it through, I knew that if I didn't come home at this time, she was going to be upset. And I, and I yeah. just didn't think about her as much as I should have. And if I'm reading the scriptures, it's very clear that Christ giving himself up for the church is the way that I'm supposed to love Heidi, mm-hmm. just as she is supposed to love me in such a way that she holds me in high regard and is willing to respect me even when I fail her miserably. Yeah, and that takes a lot of communication. Yes. You can't, you can't actually fight that war if you're both in your own camps and you're never talking about things. Like, be open and honest about when something is coming up. Like, even if it is something that you're super insecure about, whatever it might be, that thing's just going to sit there and fester. Mm -hmm. Or if you've had a thought that you're like, I really shouldn't have. I mean, granted, maybe not every single thing, but, but there are things that if you're open and honest about it, then it doesn't become this secret that, like, you feel like you have to hide. And then you can actually both fight it together rather than you trying to do it on your own. Right. But, yeah, communication is huge. And it's so simple. Right. But I don't know why we end up getting so scared about it. Well, and it happens in the movies too. I mean, this is the one thing that's, that is similar. In the movie, you're like, if they would have just talked to each other at the five minute <laughs> it's mark. so true. At the five minute mark, they wouldn't be rushing through the airport trying to find each other at the end. Mm-hmm. And it, part of the reason why we don't communicate is we just, we either think the other person is not really going to listen or we feel like we're not being heard or we feel like, you know, uh, I'm right and you're wrong and there's no way for me to, but, but typically almost every little argument that we get in really comes down to a lack of communication from one side or both sides. And then we have to communicate it out, figure out what's really going on and, mm-hmm. then, and then work it through. So another thing that I think is huge with dating, especially if you're trying to follow Christ and date is boundaries Mm -hmm. and trying to keep those because as we talked about, like, yeah, you will be like, you will be attracted to them. There are things you're going to want to do that, you know, technically is supposed to be saved for marriage. And there's lots, and we're not going to go into that. There's lots of reasons as to why that is. There's scientific reasons as to why that should be the case. We're not going to go into that, but we know that that's supposed to be the case. So how, how do we go about actually keeping boundaries that honor the other person and then yeah respecting that person (laughs) he's just nodding away over there well and I I don't know how to say this so I'll just I'll just start and even the issue with boundaries makes it seem like there's something that we're not allowed to do Mm mm-hmm when we are absolutely allowed to do it in its proper form. That's the difference is we treat boundaries as if they are restrictive as opposed to, I believe the Bible is very clear that boundaries are permissive when they're in the right 
mm-hmm. category when they're doing the right thing. So, you know, if you walk up to the presence of the Lord without having gone through the ritual that you need to get through to be sacrificially cleansed, you deserve to die because the glory of God is so hot that you can't stand it. Well, in a similar way, what makes love amazing in marriage only works when you're both committed to a covenantal relationship with one another. So it's not even that you're not allowed to do it. It is actually harmful for you to do that, any of those things, before you move into marriage. And the reason isn't because God's a jerk and he programmed you this way or he put these ridiculous societal crutch, you know, confines on you. And it's not to say that you're missing out because all of your friends are able to do whatever. What he is promising is if you listen to my voice and if you follow me and you choose to do things my way, it will go better for both of you. That's the idea. So when we look at marriage and we look at what marriage brings with it, sometimes we see it as like a finish line, like I'm finally able to do what I've always wanted to do. Or, man, that was close a few times, but we totally avoided it. Man, I'm so glad that this time we're finally going to get to. And then I've had a lot of couples come to me after they get married and they're like, it was actually more disappointing than I thought it was going to be. And I'm like, because your marriage was a starting line. It was not the finish line. Yeah. And so our understanding of even how to perceive dating and relationships, physical and not, is we so often, and this is what you heard from youth group, is don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. When what God is saying is, I want you to have all of it. I want you to experience full, you know, physical, mental, and spiritual fullness with someone else. I want you to see in them how beautiful it is to have a connection, just like I want to have that kind of connection with the church. And so what God's saying is, I want there to be this amazing mutual respect and love. And the only way to properly do that is for you both to be covenantally connected. And the only way to do that is through marriage. Because when you're going on a date, you're not making a commitment that's going to last a lifetime. No. Even when you're engaged, you haven't made that commitment to a lifetime. Now, in the ancient world, if you were betrothed or engaged, you could still do stuff. However, it was frowned upon. Do you know what I'm saying? But in their mind, you weren't committing adultery at that point. That's actually part of the reason why in the ancient world, you would agree to the bride price, pay it, and then the, the, the husband would go off and build a house. That's how they, they kept each other separated. So by like, basically, yeah, so yeah. You're wouldn't. building your house, and then when you're done, you're going to go get your wife back. Like that was the idea. But in today's world, we don't live like that. No. So we look at an engagement like this is a terrible thing. I can't believe I have to wait this long. Da, 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 da. And the truth is it shouldn't even we, – we should change our minds. Mm-hmm. We should repent of that and go, no, what I'm doing is I'm looking forward to an entire lifetime of exploration with this person. I'm still building. Emotionally. Yeah. Physically, spiritually, for us to study God's word together or for us to to drive home together from a sermon and go, man, that was really cool. Let's talk this through. Like what? I can't believe what I learned this morning. Let's talk this through. Or for us to be in a small group together or to serve in a ministry together. Like those are beautiful things that allow our relationships to blossom and develop the way they're supposed to. And we all too often see it as a restriction rather than absolute full bore. Let's go. And we treat engagement and dating as like, well, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll leap this hurdle and hope that I get through it okay. So let's change our whole perspective. Your, your idea here is, man, marriage is a beautiful, amazing thing. I get, a, I get a lifetime with this person chasing Jesus together. That's awesome. So even if we start there, like that, that changes the boundaries thing, that changes the permissions thing, that changes all of it. And I think it gives us a better perspective biblically of how to, how to date and how to do it better. Yep. <laughs> but let's get practical. <laughs> Which I know that 
because I know that it's different for different people. So like what what certain people, some people it's not hard to to what to do that. Some people it's some people it's like whatever. It's not that big of a deal. Whatever. For some people, it's very hard. And not that I don't know because some people like for example like physical touch is their like love language and so that's in some ways how they feel close or intimate or whatever whereas other people it's quality time like just spend some good time with me and that's definitely how they feel they feel connected and so I mean I don't know I think that there still are things that you can be doing to help yourself to be successful yes a good mindset is fantastic I mean it's it's the it's the foundation truly and you need to keep yourself focused on that but I also think that if you are sitting there hanging out late at night all the time alone that's probably not going to help you right no it's not going to help you stay the course that you would like to stay I mean I've even come to realize that like truly the gateway to a lot of it is kissing. If you just don't, then you're not going to end up going down that path. I can see the book already. I kissed kissing goodbye. But like, do you know what I mean though? Like yeah. if you, if you, cause I think we even think that we think that to be intimate means I need to be physical with you no. and that's not intimacy. Well, and I've taught students for years about this in within the marriage framework Sex is such a small percentage Mm -hmm. of what marriage really is. And that's not to say that, I'm I'm saying even in the healthiest of marriages, we're talking a little bit of time, a few times a week, maybe. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like statistically speaking, that's what we're talking about. That's a lot of marriage left over. There's a lot of stuff (laughs) going on. Yeah, Yeah. Breakfast together is an intimate moment. When I drive with my wife through the countryside and we dream about the future, I'm actually more intimately connected with her in those moments. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. so we, even, we even need to change our mindset about like, what you're getting into. We think of marriage as this thing that's like, oh, it's going to be nonstop. It's going to be awesome. That's not, re- that's not real. That's, no. w- when my wife calls me during my lunch break and we chat for a little bit, like, that's just as real as anything else. And so, again, you're, you're building a relationship that has a much bigger idea. You know, if the pie chart of your marriage is a sliver as this and this is all you're focused on, then you've missed out on all the rest of it. And, and marriage is not that. And so even within our dating, we're like, oh, I can't believe I'm missing all this thing or I'm so physically attracted to you. I can't wait. It's like, I hear you. And I, I get why that's important. But trust me, as an old married man who has a very healthy life in a number of ways and take that however you want to mean it. (laughs) What I'm saying there is like our marriage is so much more than that and it's way more beautiful. And that's actually what I, I yearn for a lot of those things more. I love when I come home and she wants to give me a hug. I love when I come home and she looks like she's missed me all day. You know what I'm saying? Like those are moments that I can't, I have to foster those all the time by being, loving Jesus and, and chasing after him and being sacrificial toward my wife so that those other moments are, are great and everything clicks. But that's not the point of marriage. And so we, our culture has just, I, I describe it to kids sometimes as, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, we've got yeah. food at the bottom and all that kind of stuff. Our culture has flipped that pyramid upside down and we, sex was at the top of the pyramid. 
like fulfilled needs. And we've flipped that period and said, like, as long as you're being fulfilled sexually, your life is perfect. And it's like, that's so wrong. You've missed the whole point. You know, when I make a great meal for my wife, that's an awesome moment. When I, you know, when we uh, go for a walk together and hold hands and, and it's just us, that's beautiful. And that's, that's what marriage is really made of. But we, we neglect all of that. And then what ends up happening is a marriage doesn't, and this is back to what I was trying to say in the beginning, it doesn't fulfill us in the way we think it's going to fulfill us sexually. So then we blow the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times, like what I, the reason why someone strays is because they're looking for someone else to fulfill a need that they think is not being met in their marriage. When the reality is you should probably be sacrificing yourself and realizing that that's not a need that's going to be met in the way you want it to be met. And either find a way to have the conversation so that it is met in the way that you at least, mm-hmm. or at least compromise, or it means I need to completely change my perspective on this and figure out how to do it the right way. Yeah. I was thinking that too, that you have a conversation about it, but then there also might be the thing that like, it's not all about you either, you no. know? So yeah, it, cause I think even as Christians, what we end up doing with, with sex is we make it this thing and so then that, because we know where it's almost like when, you know, you're not supposed to touch it. And so you're like, all you want to do is touch it, you know? And it's like, yeah, we almost need to, <laughs> that was so weird. I'm sorry that I said that. Um, but yeah, we need to almost change our mindset so that it's not this taboo thing. It is a part of life, but it's not the, the only part of life. Yeah. And like I said, it's a very small part of life. Mm-hmm. No matter what way you slice it. Or splice it. <laughs> or splice it. It is, it is a small part of your life. Even if you are an addict, it is a small part of your life. If you're really honest with yourself, it's just not what we make it out to be. So we need to back up and realize, huh. And if you start to back up from that a little bit and you realize, man, that's true. I, I think I'm going to buy into that then dating changes its entire perspective. And uh, engagement isn't like a, oh man, the finish line. Engagement is a, hey, we've moved to a next level. We love each other. We're learning new things about each other. And then the conversation just moves to the next level and we start having fun planning a wedding together and then we get married and then we spend an entire life. That's the starting line. Figuring things out. That's the idea. And in the ancient world, they skipped the whole dating and the whole engagement thing, basically. Except for to build a house. Correct. Your engagement was to build a house. <laughs> Once it's done, marriage. And you had to go get all the materials yourself and put the rocks on top of each other. I mean, the whole goal was you were showing your wife, man, I'm I'm good. I'm in this. I can do this. We should we should still do this. Make people build houses. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no. I feel like a lot of people would get married because they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, I don't, I don't get that. You go to their house and it's just like a, a like a little lean to in the backyard. <laughs> I made this for you. Let's do this. So, this is a really quick little piece, but one of the things that I've I've thought about is, I'm, I'm parenting a teenager and an almost teen. So this conversation has a whole other level for me, you mm-hmm. know. And and one of the things that I'm trying to teach my girls is there's value to you whether you wear certain things or not, there's a value to you that is beyond what you even perceive based on, on the way that people should treat you and think about you. You are not 
what they're going to make you out to be. And I want you to be strong and courageous in the Lord and love him so much that that man can't rob you of anything. And he loves Jesus just as much as you do. And that's what you're chasing. So, you know, we put some parameters, like our kids aren't going to date, date until 16 or, or later. We joke about 34 and 35 and they're like, you're, you already had both of us before you were that age. And we're like, we don't have to, you don't have to do what we did. We're going to make you do things differently. Mm-hmm. But the reality is I just, I want my girls to figure it out. And one of my friends really taught this well to me. He wanted you to get to know, um, my friend taught his college group, um, man, mission, marriage. And so you're like, oh yeah, that sounds great. No, the man is Jesus. I want you to get to know the son of man. And I want you to know him so well that you are completely understanding of what your mission in life is. And once you find someone that loves the man and loves the mission as much as you do, then you move into marriage. And we, we reverse that a lot. We're looking for someone to sort of fill the need for us. And mm-hmm. then they're like, oh, they, they totally broke my heart. This is terrible. The truth is you weren't, you weren't looking for fulfillment in the right place. So I'm trying to teach. I haven't gotten to that whole spiel yet with my girls because they're not thinking that way fully yet. Uh, but, but part of what we're going to start talking through when we get a little older is that. Just like I want you to know Jesus and love Jesus so much that then you're thinking about my mission in life is to accomplish this. And then you'll find someone that matches those things and you guys can jump into this together. And that's not even guaranteeing that it's going to go great. Because the marriage could still yeah. go really poorly afterward because we're human and we fail and we mess up. But you're at least in a better place than going marriage, mission. Oh, maybe the maybe I get to know Jesus now because my life fell apart. Mm. Which is usually how it goes. So in the long run, what are some advice, things that we would give to people? We've This whole episode is full of practical advice, I think. But final thoughts, I suppose. Yeah, I would say in the long run... Go for somebody that you actually want to do life with, that you're like, I want to do the day in, day out life with. I mean, this is already, yes, they love Jesus, all of those things. Not just somebody that you are like head over heels, kind of infatuated with. Um, Because I feel like that just becomes a big distraction rather than a partner in life. So feelings are great. But feelings are also fleeting and they come and go. You want to you wanna be with somebody who um, who actually has, yeah, I mean, how people say, oh, I married my best friend. But like, I also think you didn't actually marry your best friend. Like, stop that. My, be- my best friend is Casey. Like, I'm not marrying Casey. I am marrying Aaron. I don't know. Anyways, I think they become your best friend, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily think in that moment they're technically your best friend. But, no, I'm with you there. And, yeah. I th- and I think that's the part of the goal of marriage is... You're just doing life with your best friend. And you're not that way in the beginning. No. But you get to know that over time. I'm with you. And also, I think uh, just be be kind to yourself. Give yourself grace. Give them grace because you're both trying to kind of figure this thing out. But also just realize there's no manual technically and just watching other people is helpful but it's also can be detrimental I know for somebody like me where I watched what other people did and I'm like well that's not happening in mine so am I doing this wrong that was a constant question and I still have that question am I doing this wrong am I doing this wrong am I doing this wrong is this going like Mm -hmm. it's not looking like x y and z so I feel like it's not wrong and a lot of that was expectation yep so the expectations that I thought it was going to be like or what society has put on it, all of those things. And I'm still going to have that 10 years down the road, probably. That's mm-hmm. kind of the personality that I have. But I've come to realize, too, that 
we talk about some of those things. Some of those things are expectations that like truly we need to talk about. Like I expected this, this wasn't whatever. Some of those are like, Erica, that's not realistic. That's kind of a thing I've had to do a lot of. That's not realistic. You kind of need to let that go. Um, I mean, I know we've joked about it, but like Disney movies, rom-coms, those haven't really helped me. I think they've actually hindered and, and harmed me more than anything. They've made me think something that's not technically true. And so then that makes me think, you know, whatever. And that sounds, you might be like, well, duh. But it's like, no, once you actually get into it, you realize, oh, I expected all of these things. And you realize where did those come from? From society, from movies. And then you realize yeah. that's... Mm-hmm. That that had those didn't really help me. They're fun to watch, yep. but they do kind of make you desire something that's not necessarily true. And the majority of those end at the wedding. So well, and I'll prove that they're not true because name a single Disney movie where the the sexual aspect of a relationship is ever involved. Mm. So kiss what, the girl is that the well, But what's ironic is. Our society has convinced us that that is the most important thing in a relationship, yet the movies that people are growing up on have no elements of it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So somehow you're looking for Prince Charming in a dude that's been told that all he needs to do is get in your pants. Those two things don't jive. And so that everyone's like, why is my marriage such a mess? Why is my relationship so such a tragic disaster? I, I was looking for this and it never happened. It's because you're trying to link two completely disparate worldviews together and say, this is what it's going to look like. Whereas I think a biblical worldview is a way better way to look at this whole mm-hmm. thing, to understand that our relationship with Christ is the most important thing. So like for me, I, I'm totally with you. I agree with everything you've just said. The other thing that I would say is if you're teaching a college group or a young adult ministry, which is like, this isn't just for you. I mean, this is really for your your people, but also then for you, like we're, we're adding things that are hopefully helping you a little bit, but you need to teach better. You need to teach about this better. You need to find the books and we'll put some of them in the show notes that are just beneficial for you to teach this better than just simply, eh, don't do it till you're married and then everything's gonna be fine. No, like you need to teach people about permissive love and you need to teach people about what Christ's goal for life and marriage really is, as opposed to don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and then you'll figure it out. Guys, we are teaching a, a restrictive version of the story and we're leaving out all of the good stuff, the really, really, really good stuff. And, and we're also doing so in a culture that is only talking about what they say is the good stuff. So we've got to turn everything on its head and we've got to completely help people understand, man, there's something different going on than what we think. And the problem is we aren't able to do that. Only the Holy Spirit's able to do that. So we've got to somehow teach people God's word and then pray a ton that the Holy Spirit's going to convict and do the work that he's going to do and then watch the Holy Spirit do amazing things and get people to go, oh, this isn't just about me not doing something. It's about me chasing after a proper relationship that's going to do the right thing. Or even further, oh, I'm not supposed to be chasing that. Jesus is going to forgive all my mistakes in that area because I've, I've messed up big time and I want to do this one differently. I want to fix this, this, you know, this relationship. I want to treat it a different way. I want to, I want to honor God in a new way and restore what I've given up earlier. Uh, and so it's, it's a huge mess. We understand that that's difficult for you uh, to figure out how to walk that line, but just be real. I mean, just, you've got to say, this is what I did. This is what I wish I hadn't done. And it's not because I you know, want to give you a bunch of rules of what not to do. It's because I understand that God loves me 
so much that he desires that I have a relationship where I experience that love here on earth. And that my job as a, as a person in Christ is to love the other person just as much as Christ loves them. And so I'm never going to be able to accomplish that, but my job is to let Christ continually teach me about surrender and submission to him so that they have a chance to see what it looks like to have that same type of submission and surrender so that our relationship can be as strong as it possibly can be. And if we start teaching that direction, it just, I think it's going to be way, way, way better than us just going like, here's, make a contract and say you're not going to do this. Get your list of uh, likes that you want in a man and uh, go after that. Stop teaching a simple morality and start teaching gospel-centered relationship ideas. And the Bible's full of them. You saw it in Ruth and, and Boaz. We, we talked about last chapter was this whole thing. And I think you see two honorable people choosing to make honorable decisions. Mm-hmm. A little weird compared to how we would do things. But nonetheless, you see this in your, and the Bible's beckoning you like, come join this story. This is a better story than what you saw in Judges. Samson was taking advantage of women. Boaz, not at all. Mm-hmm. And which story goes better? Well, we don't know who Samson's kids are. I mean, we made some speculations in Judges as yeah. to what that might look like. But we don't know for sure because Samson just kind of evaporates into thin air. Whereas Boaz and Ruth become the great grandparents of the king, the greatest king that ever lived until his great, 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 great grandson, Jesus, who is the one who's on the throne now and the one who's going to reign forever. That's a cool gospel. Mm-hmm. All right. That it? Well, I hope that was helpful for you. Uh, please let us know any thoughts that you might have, opinions you might have, or questions if you'd like us to delve into anything else. So, all right. Dating. Hopefully you made that super crystal clear. As mud. Which you just said some questions. We would love to do a Q&A episode on something like this. So if you were actually to find us on Instagram or elsewhere or email us. We would love to get those questions and deal with all of those and get mm-hmm. more specific. We're trying to be very open and very kind of across the board, but Ruth is promoting the love story idea. So we're willing to stay on this as long as we need to. So if you've got ideas that you'd love us to interact with, let us know and we'll, we'll give you some good biblical passages to deal with. So. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the App Store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at The Yamcast. <laughs>